Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Good day to you. Uh, Good day. It's a very good day. The sun has come out for us. It has. It's lovely. And we're stuck indoors. I know. And it's Easter Friday. Happy Easter. What happens on the Friday? What, what's what's the Friday? The Friday's not chocolate eggs, is it? No, that's the Sunday. I think the Friday is just all the hot cross buns you can eat. Oh, I'm not a hot cross bun fan. What? Why? I love the smell of a hot cross bun. So maybe I should just toast some and just take in the aroma. God, I love, love hot cross buns. Really? Love all Easter food, all the lambs, all the... Turkey, treat turkey. Sarah, that's Christmas. Someone was talking about turkey Easter. Anyway, all of the lamb, all the hot cross buns, all the chocolate. It is the best time of year. Oh, the poor lambs. No. You're like, no, get in my belly. It's their destiny, Jess. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, moving on from there. I don't know if you saw last week, but in a rogue move, Sarah, that I don't know if it was going to be the best thing we ever did or the worst. And I did post that. I just opened the floor on Instagram to ask us anything. <laughs> Thought I'd go wild. So we did get some responses, you know, because sometimes I think people just go, no, no, thank you guys. I don't want to know anything. So I was actually going to try to post you some chocolate buttons, but we'll actually have to do this. Maybe we can do this in a couple of weeks. Okay. So <laughs> Will Hampson, of course, I hope you're ready for this, Sarah, <laughs> said, how many giant Cadbury's buttons slash pickled onions can you fit in your mouth in one go? And then he went, go. <laughs> So there's a competition. Well, I'm not doing the pickled onion. No, no. I think he was saying, you know, I'm pickled onion, your chocolate button. But I feel like you could fit a multitude of chocolate buttons in your mouth. I will try that. I will, okay. I know, we will count them up. <laughs> We're going to have to. I think I might win because I can fit my whole fist in my mouth. I mean, I'm tempted to see that now, but we can save that for the next time. Let's, let's save it. Let's save it because, you know, we're recording. I won't be able to speak. Someone else asked, did Jess's mum get the job? Oh, good question. Uh, so we've had a, a we've had a chat about this. Oh, me and Benice. 
And um, I think for now, I mean, she's very worried that you're threatening to fight her. Not going to lie, given her the number for social services. Uh, so that was a concern. I think that was her main concern, actually, if I'm honest. Yeah. So yeah. we have agreed that for the moment, we'll carry on as we are, Jess, me and you. Um, but she's there, very firm, strong backup. Waiting in the wings. Very much so. Very supportive. Loving my work. Didn't mention yours, but, you know. Uh, okay, well, good job. I'm not going to have to fight her. That's positive for me. Well, I think she's in. She's right, isn't she? In the interest of family relations, and it is Easter, a time of loving and giving. I feel I might have got that mixed up with something else. But anyway, um, yes, let's carry on as we are for now. Yeah, okay. I like it. I like it. So her invisible difference responded. This was a really good question. Does society's stigma, do, do we think it's less prevalent for those who were born HIV positive? Oh, that is a genius question. Some episodes, aren't we, around different types of stigma and things like that. So I think we can definitely touch on that there. I would have to say, if I gave an opinion, I think, unfortunately, yes, I do think that. What, that the stigma is different? Yes, I do. Yes, I would agree with you, actually. And I think some of it is down to, I think, if you um, have been born with HIV, there's nothing you could have done about that. I think society, which, and this is the unfortunate part, and this is why I think it, I think society views it like, oh, well, you know, you were born with it, so that's different. And it's like, well, why why do we have to look at it like this? So I thought that was a really interesting question to come up. If a positive person says I'm positive, a lot of people, as we've talked about before, want to instantly be like, well, how did you, how did you contract? You know, it shouldn't matter, but it seems to. But yes, Ooh. so I do think that's a much bigger conversation that I think we should definitely carry on in in our stigma episodes that we're going to be doing at some point. Yeah, just noted down that stigma is an episode. Didn't know that. <laughs> well, I never listened Am to I just making say. I love it. I'm just making up episodes now going, yeah, so we're going to do that. And the last one we had, again, a really interesting question from Positively.jq said, I'd love to hear about period sex. I'm an HIV positive woman with a negative partner and we do this regularly. So I'm not saying, by the way, Sarah, I'm not putting you on the spot and going, talk about it right now. I'm saying, again, let's stick this in an episode, note it down, get it on the big scroll of things that we're going to talk about. What is period sex? Having sex on on your period. Is that increase the risk? What I took from that question is that, yes, they're talking about risk. Is there more risk? Is there less, you know, around period sex? Because obviously, if if you're someone with a a uterus, a womb, and you're bleeding, then does that heighten the risk? Good question. And one I need to look into to get back with an answer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So thank you so much to everyone that gave us questions. It's really interesting and it actually gives us even more topics to look into. So well done, everyone. We're the most intelligent listener base, don't we? And supportive. Very supportive. We're very lucky. It is really and truly a lovely little community. But, you know, they're very thoughtful, very... Oh, just love them all, Jess. I do. I do. So thank you very much, everyone. And you know what? I'm really glad that it didn't turn out to be an absolute nightmare because as I posted it, you know, when you hit that button and you go, should I do this? Should I? And then actually I was really like, no, these are fantastic questions. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Did you just hear me slurping my tea then? Don't normally drink cups of tea during podcast recording because it's highly unprofessional. I've just been made a cup of tea, so I'm going to make use of it. Oh, how nice. What are we on today? We're mini-seriesing number three, right? 
Yes, the unintentional mini series that was never meant to be. And this week, we will be looking at the person that started it all off, as in started the whole story of... No, that's wrong. I didn't start the story of... Nicholas Ceausescu? Yeah. Who we're looking at? Wow. That's who we're looking at. No, we're looking at um, someone called Stephen Doyle this week. Love him. Love him. Thank you so much, Stephen. I will stop butting in and let you begin, Sarah. Okay, so Stephen Doyle. Well, you know, um, every so often you meet someone who restores your faith in humanity. I know that sounds like I hate everyone. I don't. But I think it is very easy to forget that there are kind people in the world because there's so much negativity at the moment. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. So when you meet someone who's particularly selfless, it's really lovely, isn't it? It is. And it should be the norm, shouldn't it? But it isn't these days because so many people, um, well, there's just so much. I say it all the time. There's so much going on in the world, Jess. It's a troubled time, isn't it? It really is. I know. So towards the end of last year, I met someone who has restored my faith in humanity. um, And it actually left me on a high for the rest of the day because he's so compassionate and he's so kind and so inspirational. And as we just said, his name is Stephen Doyle. Now, he won't like being in the limelight. So huge apologies to Stephen. And actually, when I spoke to him, I didn't make it clear that he would have his own episode because I didn't know. But as we talked, it became very apparent that we couldn't just cover him in, in a paragraph in one of the other episodes. He just had to have his own episode, but he won't like it. He's not one for attention. Yes. Apologies, Stephen. But this was important. Well, it was. And as I said, talking to him made it very apparent that you couldn't contain all of this in in another episode. So let's explain what I'm talking about here. So Stephen volunteered in Romania at the time of their HIV children's epidemic. And he initially went for three months in 1992, volunteered in a Bucharest hospital. uh, And he's helping to care for the children at the hospital that had not just HIV, although that was very common. He's caring for all of the children that are in there with all different illnesses. Why him to go in the first place? Because he knew the issues and the challenges that they were facing out there. And he knew that he could help and make a difference. And volunteering in a hospital back then, I mean, very different to volunteering in a UK hospital. So we already know Romania had very little money, limited access to medication, a lack of education around uh, HIV, an overwhelming number of children that were under the care of the hospital. So this, what he's doing is not an easy ride. Working with very, very sick children and working with staff that have little or no understanding of HIV to the point where they're horrified if Stephen um, tests the food that the children will be eating to make sure it's the correct temperature, or if he's holding their hand, they're like, no, 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 don't do any of this. You're going to catch HIV. Oh, my goodness. Catching the temperature of the food. See, it's things like that, isn't it? Such little things that, that, that are important that you forget need to be done. So after three months, Stephen uh, returned to Ireland, but he's already determined to go back out to Romania. So he fundraises uh, to return there. Uh, and six months later, he, he goes back. And this time he's working with children in hospital, but he's also working with the street kids as well. 
the impact of doing all of this led him to train to become a nurse. Romania desperately needed good quality nursing staff and he could see the sense in training in that area. So it's really kind of shaping his life. Sure direction of what he's going to do. Yeah. And I don't think it's possible for us to fully understand the conditions out there. I mean, I didn't until I spoke to Stephen. So he described when we were talking uh, a young child that contracted HIV through a vaccination and he's four and he starts to show symptoms. And when the parents learn of his diagnosis, they decide to leave him at the hospital. Oh, don't, don't. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I know it sounds completely alien to us. It's a different culture. But I think, you know, a combination of a, a lack of education, a belief that that child is infectious um, and therefore a risk to the family, perhaps coupled with a belief that the child would be better off in a healthcare setting. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I struggle with it because I'm a mum. Yeah. I, I can't imagine just handing my child over in those circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I am I struggle with it. I'm not a mum. Like that is, It's just, it's that thought of a four-year-old just being left at a hospital. No idea why, what they've done. I mean, oh God, this is like Ryan White all over again. I literally feel my eyes welling up. This is so sad. I know. And I th- I mean, let's hope that they believe their child would have a better life. And that's yeah. the basis for them doing it. But it's one of the reasons why there were so many children in a hospital setting. So at the hospital that Stephen was based at, the intensive care ward is on the ground floor and the children's wards are on floor one and two. Um, and as he said, if a child is admitted into intensive care, they're not going to come out of there alive. It's almost like palliative care in a way. But at least the children who are in the hospital are under the care of that health setting. So the children who lived on the street had no one. So they've been abandoned by their family, some of them with HIV, but not sick enough to be in hospital just yet. And obviously living on the street, they're being exposed to things that you know adults shouldn't be exposed to, let alone children. And volunteers like Stephen so important in their lives because the children trusted them, the volunteers, way above their trust for the medical professionals. Well, I bet, you know, especially how they were treated by medical professionals. And again, not being a huge judgy bastard. It's just we know that the education wasn't great. We know that they were, you know, picking the children up by their arms and their legs because they were really concerned about contracting. So, I mean, just to have some care and some compassion, I think you're going to then trust those adults, aren't you, over the ones that that sort of don't really seem to be able to give you any of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we do need to stress street children means just that. Children who live on the street. No money, no shelter, no food nothing. Some of them were living in the sewer system. So they had a roof over their head. And it's not unique, is it, to Romania? It's not unique now in some countries, but I have never really considered that aspect of poverty. No. Oh, I mean, this is just a really sad, sad, the whole of it is such a sad tale, isn't it? I hadn't considered the possibility of street children to, to do with this whole sort of HIV epidemic until right now. I haven't. And do you know... I think it's just because it's too upsetting, which is an awful excuse. You shouldn't bury your head in the sand because it might upset me. But the thought of any child living on a street with nobody to care for them, it's it's just too much. Thankfully, not too much for Stephen because he's supporting them. And that's why people like him are just amazing because they kind of stand up to this kind of adversity. So, no, I'm going to make a difference here um, and I'm going to kind of support these children. and, And, you know, somebody has to. And thank goodness it was him. What a massive thing to take on. Like, he is awesome. 
But Stephen went on to say that during his time at the hospital, the mortality rate amongst children was high. We know this from previous episodes. And quite often, if he came on shift in the morning, if a child had passed away in the night, he might carry them down to the morgue. You know, if it's a child that's died of AIDS, for example, the other staff aren't willing to touch that child. But I mean, it's not a morgue like we know a morgue to be. It's just kind of a shelter and they're just put on the floor. And it's very different and very primitive to kind of perhaps what we think of as and the children there have lots of different illnesses, so TB, hepatitis, cancer, along with AIDS. When antiretrovirals became available, it wasn't enough to meet demand. So you may remember from the last episode that the number of children taking ARVs was quite low compared to the number infected. Yeah. So the doctors decided who got the ARVs. So if a child had a CD4 count below 200, they wouldn't get them because it was felt that that child had AIDS and may not recover even with the ARVs. Say so if they were below 200, they would give them to them because, I mean, that that's what some of the criteria used to be over here, wasn't it? It was like under 250. I know there were lots of different, everyone, different clinics use different benchmarks for when to start HIV medication, but I can't believe they'd make the decision not to try to save a child's life. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, look, like you're saying, I'm sat here in a country where the NHS is free and we can just, yeah, yeah, let's treat everyone. So I suppose if you're extremely limited in what you can do and what you have in terms of medication, then I guess you have to make those decisions. But, oh, I would not want to be the person that has to decide that. Oh, no, what a tough decision to have to make. And I don't... I mean, I thought like you, I thought, oh, yeah, if you CD4 counts below 200, then they're the ones that are going to get the meds. But in this case, it's the meds might not work for those children, but it will work for those who've got stronger immune systems. So they are the ones that should get the drugs. But just go against everything, doesn't it, that you want to believe in. You don't want to think of any child missing out on life-saving medication. But yes, I think in this instance, it's it's all the survival of the fittest, isn't it? That's what it boils down to. Can I just cut in here? It's just normally when an episode is especially upsetting, you give us some sort of like, you know, strap yourselves in at the beginning. This, I feel, is the most upsetting episode so far. We got absolutely no disclaimers. It's just oh. like, it's just, and it gets, it just gets, gets sadder and sadder. I'm just like. I'm, <laughs> I'm very serious, Sarah, haven't I? No yeah. fun, Sarah, at all. Not when it comes to Romania. No, no, no. It's like, oh, we're going to celebrate Stephen. And and then this is just, I'm like, this is heartbreaking. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to move on and try and find you some happier times. Long pause while I try and find some. (laughs) Really long pause. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Bear with me, Jess. Okay, right. Let's come back to how Stephen is making a difference. That'll get you onto safer territory, won't it, my little eyed friend? Okay. Right. So one of the things he told me that it's odd, but I can understand it, why they might have done that, is that volunteers were never allowed to discuss HIV with the children. So it's never mentioned. So these children don't actually know the ones that are taking medication, why they're taking medication. But obviously that causes some challenges because as they grow older, how do you ensure that they don't pass the virus on? And this is where Stephen steps in and educates them around sex and puberty. There's no one else to do it. And it shows the struggles of bringing up children in a health care setting that you don't have that parental guidance. He fits that mould. That's what he's doing. He's like covering all of the the most vital aspects. Yes. I think probably what he's exceptionally good at is looking at a situation and almost thinking outside the box because 
raising a child in in that kind of clinical setting there's going to be huge gaps isn't there in their education and their upbringing and he's plugging those gaps all over the place to make sure that they have not the best start in life they haven't had a good start in life but that their life improves and they live with HIV and they're responsible young adults and that's what he's doing I feel like he should write a book has he written a book I feel like he should write a book about this Stephen write a book about this because there's I have so many questions I'm not going to, I know every week that's all I ever do, just fire questions at you. <laughs> Some, you know, you may or may not be able to answer, but this is, I mean, this story is, um, I don't want to say unbelievable, but do you know what I mean? The situation was so dire and to have someone come in who's, I don't know, ensuring the children, the temperature of the children's food is okay, carrying children to the morgue because no one else will do it, giving them sex education. It's like a jack of all trades, like you're saying, stepping in to plug every single little gap that he's noticing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, he is unbelievable. Now, we talked last week about Dr. Klein, who was instrumental in ensuring Romania had access to ARVs. And on one of his visits, Dr. Klein had a photographer with him who's got the best name in the world. He was called Smiley Pool. That is a good name, a lovely name. Well, we're going to feature Smiley in our next episode. Um, because he also had a, an impact on uh, how things were in Romania. So everybody links together. But on uh, Smiley's website, it's got a website, uh, he acknowledges Stephen. And he says, Stephen, who gave up a comfortable life in Ireland to work with homeless kids in Romania and who became a surrogate father to Niku Bordian. And we haven't mentioned Niku. Stephen did talk about him when we met um, and he was a young boy that took an instant liking to Stephen. So as soon as he met Stephen, he started telling all the other kids that Stephen was his father. And Stephen like, is lovely because his reply is, well, I'm everyone's father, really, aren't I? But OK. And that's how they formed a bond mm. during his time in Romania. And even when Stephen returned to Ireland, which is where he is now, he kept in touch with Niku until Niku passed away in 2016. Oh, wow. So he, he even kept in touch with people when, and some of the children. And they're right. You know, he did give up, a, 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 a let's say, a regular life of, of stability and normality to go and do this. Yeah, a very comfortable life to go and, and live over there. And what he did in Romania, and I think what he continues to do now, is go above and beyond. So there are boundaries to volunteering as well with any role. And I think it's difficult to not blur the edges of those boundaries. Um, and I think what Stephen has always managed to do really well is manage those boundaries. So it's ensuring that those children are never isolated, that they've always got someone who's got their back, like Niku, whilst also you know, maintaining the boundaries and, and doing your volunteering to the kind of best of your ability. I think we all need someone like that. We all need someone who's got our back. Oh, I love him. I actually, I'm so with you. I mean, I want to say this has brightened my day. Like you said, you're on a high after you spoke to him. I don't feel like this has brightened my day just because of how sad it is. But I feel like hearing that there are people in the world that are willing to give up so much to help others to yeah. put other people first is unbelievable. I, I keep saying that. Uh, do you know who I sound like, Stephen Mulhern? <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to, but it, it, I, I, am, I am honestly like in awe of what he's done. That's Stephen Doyle, not Stephen Mulhern. No, no. <laughs> I see your point. Okay. I mean, these days, Stephen works in primary care in Ireland, works with migrants, those with addiction issues, but he still kept a very keen interest in HIV and he's a member of the European AIDS Treatment Group. 
So they are patient-led NGA that advocates for the rights and interests of people living with or affected by HIV within Europe. So they're founded in 1992 and the network has more than 150 members from 45 countries in Europe. So he's still having input and still Mm. helping to shape people's lives who are affected by HIV. There's one more thing to share with you about Stephen. He is an amazing photographer and his most recent work focuses on HIV. So from his website says, my work in this project are documentary portraits of people all living their lives to the full, all living with HIV. These people break down stigma that's associated with HIV. They are aging beautifully and providing education on maximising quality of life. They all promote and spread the powerful you equals you slogan. Two of the people he photographed are Emma Cole and Eliane Bex. Really? And we have featured both of them. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Two very, very amazing women. Yes. And that's what he done. Takes amazing pictures of them to illustrate life with HIV. It's perfect. We'll obviously share links um, to both his social media and his website. Um, and we have been doing that throughout this series as well. So whichever episode of Romania and you'll be able to find Stephen's website in the links below. But please, please, please do go and check out his work because it is fantastic, like Sarah's saying. It really is. And there are images from other projects that he's done as well. So one of the projects is around the children he worked with in Romania. They are very moving pictures. Don't you look at them. I won't today, maybe tomorrow. I might just need to give it a break for a minute, you know. You're going to need a jar of pickled onions just to get I know, did you on. hear my voice just wavered then? You know, like when you're a bit upset and you're like, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I will do. I need um, some dark chocolate digestives, which I'm not on my own there. We've had people message us saying they also have dark chocolate, by the way. Who are these people? These Charlotte Leach. Those. Oh, well, yeah. So like your Listener Charlotte, my dungaree gal pal. Yeah, we're like twinning these days. We're, we're as one, aren't we, Charlotte? See, I, just, I mean, I just feel if you're going to eat a chocolate-covered biscuit, why ruin it with dark chocolate? I don't... The dark chocolate and, and almost like the, the salt in the digestive, is it's the most amazing combination you'll ever eat in your life. It's a taste sensation, Sarah. Have you actually oh. ever eaten a dark chocolate digestive? Yes. Do you know what? It was an abomination, actually. And I think it was someone at work that did this, brought in not just a dark chocolate digestive, but they were a dark chocolate digestive thin. Have you seen them? Me. I I think that was me. I I, I think that was me, Sarah. (laughs) And they were delicious, may I say. It's embarrassing times when you're telling someone a story that's literally them. There was this time this idiot brought in these biscuits. It's me. I did that. Oh, I love those. The dark thin. Chocolate. Yeah. The fact it's like half a biscuit. It's like, what? what is this? Yeah. Who's wasting my time trying to get me to eat this? It's true. That's true. I'll take that one on the chin. I'll take that. Yeah. Oh, bless. But, you know, thank you for your kindness and thoughtfulness in bringing that gift into the office. <laughs> <laughs> yes no i will i will have a look tomorrow no I, I have seen i've obviously seen his hiv project and it's yeah wonderful but i will go and have a look because these things did happen and we can't run away from even if it's sad we can't run away from it no that's what i've learned through this little mini series you know is these things are happening whether i acknowledge them or not yeah i just need to be braver yes you do we both do sarah and i think we are we are acknowledging it and we're acknowledging the the brave people that gave up their a lot of their time to go and offer support and do whatever they yeah, could. I know. So, look, I mean, he's still making a difference. And you'll hate me saying that, but here we are. So Stephen Doyle, whether you're comfortable with it or not, you are a true HIV hero. And it was a privilege 
to talk with you. And do you know what? I'd like to de- dedicate this episode to Niku as well, who I think had an impact on Stephen's life just as much as Stephen had an impact on Niku's life. I absolutely love that. So this episode is dedicated to Niku Bordian. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos.